This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Switch gears and after the 830 news, we'll continue the conversation about minimum wage. And I believe we have reconnected with Charles, uh, Charles LeMann with the uh, F- Director of uh, Fiscal Studies at the Fraser Institute. Uh, how is this for a phone line? I think it's better, Jill. That is. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. So let's start uh, from the beginning. And I know you've written and researched this. Uh, what, what are your concerns when we focus so much on the $15 per hour wage? I think the goal of helping the working poor is important, and it's something that we all agree on. The The problem, however, is how we're going to get there with the minimum wage. The minimum wage is not the right tool to help the working poor, to help augment their living standard. It turns out, uh, Jill, and this is the, the, the key reason why it's not an effective tool, most minimum wage earners, in fact, almost 90% of them in British Columbia, are not part of a poor household. So let me say it again, nearly nine of every 10 minimum wage earners in the province do not belong to a poor household. Now, why is that? The the reason is most minimum wage earners are either teenagers or or young adults living at home with their parents. They're not the prime uh, earner in their household. So when we're talking about uh, raising the minimum wage, what we're doing really is not helping people who are supporting their own households, that are supporting young children. In fact, only 2% of all minimum wage earners in the province are single parents with young kids. So really, the the first problem with the minimum wage is that it doesn't actually help target the people we want to help, which is uh, the working poor. That seems like a really low number because we're constantly told that it is is people who are struggling and it's people who are supporting families. But this is the misconception, right? So when when, when I write about the minimum wage, and and I'm someone who spends a lot of time worrying about how to help uh, the poor, how to to reduce poverty, but we have to do that based on the evidence. We can't simply rely on our good intentions to guide public policy. So we have to drill down and, and look at the data and see what the data says. And this is data from, from the, the statistical uh, federal agencies, this is Canada. Uh, they, they publish this data on, on many times and many occasions, and it's quite clear that if you're going to help the working poor, the first thing you need to be able to do with public policy is effectively target that group. And unfortunately, the minimum wage is not the right tool to do it. But it's not just that, Jill. It's not just that it doesn't effectively target the people we want to help, which is, I think, the, the, the biggest problem. It has other unintended consequences with it. When you raise the price of, of very low-skilled labor, now this is typically young people who are getting their first uh, job experience, and you make it more expensive for businesses to hire these uh, young people, they tend to hire less of them. They'll, they'll employ fewer young people, they'll cut back on hours, and, and they'll cut back on their benefits, and we won't see the, sim- the same amount of opportunities for these young people to get their foot in the door and, and, and to work uh, to get their job experience and, and raise their incomes in very short order. So the minimum wage is not only poor at, at targeting the people we want to help, it creates a whole set of unintended negative uh, economic consequences that, that obviously uh, they have challenges for, for, for small businesses and challenges for the, the wider economy. Uh, when you talk about it not being the right tool, then what is the right tool? <laughs> Well, this is the thing, and I, and I wish we, had, we, we, would, we would put the ideology aside, put, put the good intentions aside, and focus on the evidence. And here, there is some evidence to draw on. There are other policy uh, tools that we can use to better target the people we want to help without the same kind of negative economic consequences, and, and one of which is allowing the government to provide a top-up to workers who are working and who are in, in a poor uh, circumstance. 
that is, they have lower levels of income. And we have a program right now that was started about 10 years ago. It's called the Working Income Tax Benefit. This is a program that provides a cash subsidy to low-income workers, and, and, and the, the amount of the subsidy depends on uh, what your income is as a household. It depends on how many kids you have. But that cash subsidy that tops people's wages up allows them to, to, to enjoy a higher living standard and protect them from being in poverty. And it's, and it's connected uh, to, to, uh, to, to their job circumstances. So you have to be working in order to receive it. And, of course, it's targeting people with very low levels of income. This is a much better policy option than raising the minimum wage. Unfortunately, when we talk about the minimum wage, we, we get hung up on our good intentions. It sounds simple. It sounds intuitive, but the reality is the data doesn't support it. And we've got decades and decades of experience in Canada where governments have tried to raise the minimum wage in the past and has done little uh, to improve to reduce poverty. And in some cases, research has found that higher minimum wages actually raise the poverty level because uh, some poor uh, families end up having less income because of those job losses and, and lower levels of uh, hours worked. Is it fair, do you think, also, or are we missing the mark a bit when we when we compare the provinces? So when we talk about Ontario, we talk about BC and Alberta, without looking at perhaps the median salary or what the salaries are in those provinces. Well, we have to do that. And that's one of the ways to kind of get a sense of how uh, detrimental the minimum wage would be. So you want to, if you're in a jurisdiction uh, like Alberta, that's a high wage jurisdiction, naturally. Uh, and if you raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, the adverse economic effects in that region would be uh, less than, say, in a province like BC that has lower average levels of income. Because now the minimum wage is a greater uh, uh, share of, the, of, the, uh, of the, the median wage. So really, I think in BC, we should be more worried uh, than in Alberta uh, for, for going to a $15 minimum wage uh, and of course, we're already seeing some of the impacts play out in Ontario, who just raised the minimum wage by 21% on, on January of this year. Businesses have already responded by cutting back benefits. We've seen uh, a lot of this play out in, in media reporting. New, new jobs data came out uh, just on Friday that, that has shown the dramatic decline in part-time employment in the province of Ontario. So, I mean, there's really no reason why we wouldn't expect to see similar levels of, of job loss and, and, and lower levels of employment, particularly for the young people, right? So the minimum wage is not necessarily going to affect professionals or, or, or people earning uh, well above $15 an hour. It's going to affect uh, those that have minimal work experience, working their first jobs, and then typically that tends to be uh, people under the age of 25. All right, Charles, we'll have to leave it there. But thank you so much. Appreciate you being with us this morning. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Joe. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.